Remain seated and keep your hands and feet inside the spacecraft. For those of you standing, please hold on to the handrails throughout our journey and stay clear of the doors. But there is one thing that they have that you don't have. Hang on to them hats and glasses, because this here's the wildest ride in the wilderness. W Radio, your information station. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the WDW Radio Show, your Walt Disney World information station. I am your host, Lou Mangello, and this is show number 357 for the week of April 6th, 2014. I'm here to help you have the best possible Disney vacation experience and bring you a little bit of Disney magic wherever you are with this podcast, my videos, blog, live broadcasts, special events, my Walt Disney World trivia books, Save Money at Walt Disney World book, audio tours, and more. You can find everything over at www.radio.com. So as the Magic Kingdom continues working towards the expansion of the Central Hub, we're going to take a look at not just what's coming, but the history of the Hub concept going back to Walt Disney. We'll discuss how the hub came to be in Disneyland, then later replicated in Walt Disney World, the reasons why it was created, and why it works so well, as well as the changes that have taken place in and around the hub since 1971. I'll then have the answer to our last Walt Disney World trivia question of the week, and then pose a new challenge for your chance to win a Disney prize package. Then stay tuned for some updates and announcements before playing more of your voicemails at the end of the show. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's episode of the WDW Radio Show. In February 2014, Disney officially announced major changes coming to something in Walt Disney World that has for the most part, remained unchanged in its more than 40-year history. No, it's not an attraction, per se, restaurant or, or resort. It's actually the Magic Kingdom's central hub. And right after the announcement, guests began to notice work on a project that's going to make the hub at the end of Main Street USA even better. Disney's adding a lot of new elements to the area, including gardens, additional pathways, expanded restaurant seating, and even a special viewing area for fireworks and other shows. Work's going to be ongoing through fall of 2015, but I thought it might be a good time to not just take a look at what's coming, but take a look back as well. Because you may not realize it, but the Hub has actually gone through more changes than you may have known or remembered. So this week, I'm bringing back someone to help me navigate the historical Hub and spoke. He is a renowned Disney historian, expert, author of countless articles and numerous books on Disney, including Who's Afraid of Song of the South? The Vault of Walt, Volume 1 and 2, and the brand new Book of Mouse, which I consider sort of the Mickey Mouse encyclopedia slash Bible. He's also a good friend, and he is, of course, Mr. Jim Corcus. Well, thank you, Lou. It, it, it's, always, it's always a joy, and your listeners are always a, a, a great treat. I'm, I'm, I'm always uh, happy when they come up and they said that they've heard me on, uh, uh, on your show, but... My gosh, we're talking about changes in the Magic Kingdom? Changes? I'm a get 'em. 
Let me get my old man cane and wave it in the air. Those kids with their loud music, I can't understand the lyrics, and those magic bands and all. See, I, uh, I, I, like I, th- I, I think, you know, we, we've, we've talked about this uh, um, uh, before, but, you know, change is something that uh, you is always going to happen. That, and especially at, at Disney. Uh, Disney has always been at the forefront uh, of change, you know, even since the very first Disney theme park, Disneyland, opened. But uh, as you alluded to, it's important to know uh, the history behind some of the these things, because if you're going to make a change, you need to understand why something was there in the first place and uh, what needs you know it was, was uh, accommodating. And then I think you can make uh, a good choice if you just do it willy-nilly, you know, just for the sake of change or oh, this seems like a good idea. I, th- I think you're going to miss the boat in a lot of ways. And I agree. And I think sometimes taking a look at your history lets you understand the direction where you are going. And look, as much of a nostalgic and the lover of quote-unquote classic Disney that I am, I do believe change is good, right? And and also, I trust, you know, I trust the company. I trust Disney based on their track record. Change, for the most part, is often a good thing. And I think here, the purpose of the change Right, let's sort of talk about what is going to change and why it's happening. I mean, the bottom line purpose of the change is to make for a better guest experience. It is all about you know better guest flow through, accommodating more guests in the hub, the ability for guests to watch the parades and watch the castle shows with some more room to get in and out of the parks easier. There's expanded seating areas. There's going to be new gardens. You know, we'll talk about the moat and what it used to be used for, but, you know, closing off the moat and putting in some garden areas and some more landscaping and horticulture might actually beautify that area a little bit, but more importantly, Jim, it is going to help with one of the most congested parts of the park, especially, like I said, during parades and fireworks shows and at the end of the day. Well, and, and again, you know, Walt uh, uh, was not adverse to change because he realized, you know, uh, for instance, the needs of the guests can change from, from what they were originally. Um, new technology, you know, it can be introduced. So uh, whatever the purpose was that you wanted, maybe this can be enhanced, uh, you know, in, in this way. Um, uh, but again, uh, I, I think... Uh, uh, we need to really go back uh, to the beginning and the uh, the birth of uh, of the hub. And the hub was such a little cutie thing, you know, and the little booties. And the... Now, uh, go back to the birth of, of the hub. And, and one of the things that people fail to really uh, comprehend about Walt Disney is Walt Disney was – um, a tremendous innovator. And what an innovator is, and, and an innovator is, is different than an inventor. An inventor creates something brand new. What an innovator does is take something that already exists and pluses it, or take something that already exists and combines it with something else that already exists, and you get something new. So, for, so for instance, uh, NASA had technology you know, to, to send rockets, uh, you know, into outer space, and then, uh, you know, you release each of the sections and, and all of that through an audio pulse. 
when that information was declassified, Walt was an innovator, so he could take a look at that, and he goes, we're not going to be shooting off rockets you know, from, from Disneyland, but we could take that same technology where you're using a sound pulse you know, to, to release a, a, a switch or whatever, and we can make uh, talking birds for the Enchanted Tiki Room. You know, because it, it's in one position, and then you send a sound pulse to release the switch, and the beak opens, and then you kill the sound pulse, and the, the beak comes down. So uh, Walt grabbed ideas from a lot of different places, and the idea for the hub came from Walt's visits to Washington, D.C. Washington, D.C. was laid out by a, uh, a French uh, architect, uh, Pierre L'Enfant. And Pierre L'Enfant came up with this concept, which is the radial system. Now, the radial system is also known as the hub-and-spoke system. And, in fact, if you, if you remember Walt talking, um, you know, in the Epcot film and describing Epcot, it was going to be this radial system, the, these concentric circles coming out from the, the, the center of the cosmopolitan city there. So Walt had seen in Washington, D.C. that you have a, a centralized hub. And, and in fact, L'Enfant designed it so there's actually two. The, the first was going to be the federal building, which later became Congress, and then the president's house, which is the White House, and that's the center. And then radiate, the streets radiated out in diagonals as a spoke uh, from that and, and crossed back and forth. And, and I'm sure Walt had that idea back in his mind when he was sitting down with uh, Marvin Davis, not Mark Davis, but Marvin Davis, sitting down with uh, Marvin Davis to, you know, how are we going to design this space? And, uh, yes, it was Walt who uh, drew sort of this triangle, and he said, and there'll be a train going all the way around it here. But, okay, now you've got this space, how are you going to most effectively use it? And, and Walt wanted to be, um, especially since money was tight, Walt wanted to be very clear, how can we measure the exact number of people coming in, the exact number of people going out, you know, all of that, and, and to make this uh, easy for folks. Because uh, uh, a lot of people uh, listening to this uh, uh, podcast are probably uh, too young to, to remember uh, uh, some of the traditional amusement parks. Amusement parks had um, multiple entrances, and you wanted multiple entrances because you wanted to make it easy for people to get in, you know, and then you made the inside very confusing, you know, the midway and, and all of that, so it made it very difficult for you to get out. Um, uh, because uh, well, it, it's like when I used to go shopping uh, at, at malls, I'd, I'd go into this, uh, uh, you know, one of the anchor stores and figure, well, and I'll just cut across and I'll get right into the mall, and 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 they would jiggle in, you know, these racks of clothes and all this, so I could never go in a straight line somewhere. I always had to jig and jag and you know all this way through to to get where I wanted to to go. Walt didn't want that. Walt wanted people to have um, uh, a sense of comfort, a sense of security. And so Walt, of course, remembering uh, uh, Washington, D.C. and all of that, thought if you only have one entrance, you know, you can control the number of people coming in and the number of people, 
coming out, so you can keep that in mind. But that's going to create a, uh, a traffic jam unless they're going to a centralized location. And then from that centralized location, you know, you can then just um, uh, uh, distribute them, you know, throughout the area, throughout the property that, that, that you have. Um, and, and I think uh, some of us just uh, uh, take this hub and spoke system uh, uh, for granted. And, and you know why it's called hub and spoke, right, right Lou? Instead of based off the, the bicycle wheel, you know, it's known as like a radio plan. Mm-hmm. Exactly. In fact, you can even go back as far as a wagon wheel for that for that same uh, 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 concept. Yeah, that that you have one centralized location, and then you have these spokes going out into different areas. But you can always go back to that centralized location. So it all connects. You know, it and it makes sense. It makes a a, a sort of instinctual sense. Um, uh, for for people, you know, um, because, you know, I've been to places and, uh, you know, I have these maps and they say, you are here, and I have no clue <laughs> where here is. <laughs> you know, where is here? What, what, what is it next to here? You know, it makes no day. And, and I've been to museums as well. And, uh, in, in fact, uh, uh, last summer uh, I, I was out um, – uh, doing a speech out in Detroit, Michigan, and went to the big uh, uh, air museum out there, and there's like three huge hangars. But by golly, you know, it, you're in there, and yes, there's these huge planes, and it's like, and and where am I supposed to go? And that curves around that corner there, and wait a minute, that's a dead end, and all of this, and uh, I, I don't know if you've had similar experiences. Uh, as I've gotten older in, in age, yes, I get lost more easily. But, you know, that's that's what Walt wanted, right? He said Disneyland's going to be a place where you can't get lost or tired unless you want to. Like, he was very, right. very sort oh. of observant about how people were moving and how people made decisions and, and how people – and by limiting the directions in that hub-and-spoke layout, you could sort of – you could become kind of lost safely, but you had a very limited number of choices that would avoid you getting – you know, like you said, lost, or as he talked about, sort of these very tired museum feet. Well, I'm, I'm, I'm very impressed, Lou, that you used an exact quote from Walt, that uh, if you go to Disneyland, you're not going to get lost or tired unless you want to. That, that's one of those obscure quotes that most people don't know. Well, and I think it goes to, you know, again, this, this idea that Everything is laid out very, very specifically. It's very, very deliberately done. It's not there. That hub and spoke was not accidental, right? And if you and there's a great book by John Hench called Designing Disney that talks about some of the things that are appealing about this hub and spoke model, right? So like you said, he saw how families would kind of get together to bunch up to make decisions about where to go next. And those little groups could take up a lot of space on a single thoroughfare, right? So they wanted to give them room to sort of make their choice, and then quickly be on their way, right? It shows you all the possible paths, whether it's four, five, six, whatever it may be, depending on what park you're in. So mm -hmm. by having easily, by being able to easily make decisions, it's not going to well, have and, a great and, congestion. You no, know, you're, you know, you're absolutely right. You know, when you're there at the hub, you can visually see which way do I want to go. You know, you, you really don't even have to, have to think. You know, it's like, oh, the castle, that's what I want. Oh. Uh, you know, uh, Adventureland. Oh, you know, tomorrow you can see immediately 
where the thing is and how to get there. Right. That, that stops know? them from getting lost, right? By having that, mm-hmm. that giant weenie in the middle, now, you know uh, that... Mm-hmm. I was like, you, you've got that landmark that sort of lets you get back to the central point and you know, sort of get around to knowing where you are. Yeah, well, you, you know, uh, um, of, of course, one of the, the, the reasons you bring me on is to, to, to share some of those uh, little fun facts that are not uh, uh, always apparent in, in, in the books and the presentations that are out there. Yes, Walt came up with the hub and, and, and that great idea that he didn't want people to have museum feet, getting tired. What is the big mistake Walt made with the hub and spoke system that had to be corrected within the first year that Disneyland was open? He didn't make mistakes. He learned, he created opportunities <laughs> to learn. He had challenges. One of, one of the things that he didn't think through, and sometimes, you know, you, and Walt realized this too, is you can't think of everything. And sometimes when you see people, you know, you understand, oh, th- this is what people want to do. It didn't occur to me. Originally for Disneyland, when Disneyland opened in 55 with the hub and spoke system, there was congestion because you could only use the spokes. So basically, if you were in the hub and you wanted to go to Fantasyland, you went in through Sleeping Beauty's Castle, but if you wanted to come out of Fantasyland, you had to come out of Sleeping Beauty's Castle. None of the lands were connected Hmm. because they were separate lands. They were separate themes. They were separate realms. But everybody was having to enter and exit through only one entrance. And so later, uh, what happened is, uh, you know, you saw that immediately. So there were little pathways that were then created to connect, you know, so that once you were in, you didn't have to come back out the exact same way you came in. You could cross over into the, these other areas. And, and I always thought that that was, was hilarious because, you know, we just take this uh, for granted right now that, oh, yeah, once we're in here, we can – we can turn this way and go to Tomorrowland, or I can take these paths up here and, and, and do that, and I don't have to go all the way back out and then all the way back in, you know, on another uh, uh, spoke into Tomorrowland. I can sort of take this little shortcut and, and, uh, and go across here. I never, now, I never here, knew that. Here's, the, here's another thing, and I'm not going to tell you the answer, so you're going to have to remember to ask me later in the podcast. Walt and his Imagineers did not call it the hub. What did they call that area? Churroland. They called it (laughs) Churroland. Well, 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 this is a little teaser so that that those people who are are listening to this podcast and they're listening at it into their, in, on their car right now, or, uh, you know, while they're doing their exercises or whatever. Now they're, now they're trapped. Now they're trapped. Now they're going to have to listen so, to, to us talk. So you don't want me. So you don't. So you don't want me to guess. Right? Do you you, you to, no, go ahead and guess. If if you get it right, I'll 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 give you the answer now. Is this more of a formal name you would have seen on a map, or sort of what they called it? Well, I, actually, um, what they called it first appeared on the uh, uh, very first uh, Sam McKim uh, Disneyland map in '58. 
my see my my first gut reaction was something akin to like the plaza or a plaza. Yes, it was called the Central Plaza, and and that's why you had that restaurant at Disneyland, which was the Plaza Inn. You know where in the world did that name come from? Thank heavens we know our history. Our history was <laughs> that the area was called the Central Plaza. See, because the the hub just sounded so. Um, uh, almost mechanical. Cold. It sounds like mechanical to me, right? Yeah, technical and mechanical. There you go. And and one of the great uh, gifts that that uh, Walt Disney had, of course, was um, humanizing technology. You know, because we're all fearful of of of, of new things. You know, um, whether it, whether it's for for the the latest phone or 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 iPod or whatever. Or, or what is it my nephew want, wants now? He wants the uh, Xbox 2 or I can't, I can't. You know, it's like, wait a minute. You know, I, I grew up playing Pong. What's the matter with you here? Why do you want this? Um, so, uh, yeah, it was called the Central Plaza. And, and again, it was supposed to be an extension of Main Street so that it would be um, neutral. It was almost watered down Main Street. You know, it didn't have that attention to detail that Main Street has, but it had that same feel. It was that neutral area so that now you can make that transition into the uh, other areas, the other spokes. You know, that's why you don't have the, the castle bumped up right next to the, the street or the entrance to Tomorrowland right up to the street. You have these long pathways coming out of this uh, this central transitional area you know so now you're here and now you're going off into another realm another land another experience and then that long pathway brings you back out and sort of cleanses your palate so that now you're back in a neutral area and you can go off into you know uh, to new adventures, right? They they wanted and, right. It was sort of like you know th- these were all those different uh, spokes were sort of gateways, right? And they and they knew right off the bat that Main Street uh, Main Street to the pl- the plaza slash hub was almost going to to bridge Main Street USA and Fantasyland. Like they knew Fantasyland mm-hmm. was going to be behind the castle, right? So once you go through, it, and then everything else sort of logically took their place. So if you stand in the hub from from each gateway. It sort of is like a, a cue as to what you can see once you pass through each of those portals, again, which don't take place right on the border of the hub, but down those sort of each of the, um, the pathways that radiate out, from the, radiate out from the plaza. Yeah, and, and, and by the way, very good use of the word uh, portal. That's the, that's the word that the Imagineers use, that you're going through a portal into, you know, that... that uh, uh, experience to me. To me, one of the cleverest portals was uh, at uh, Magic Kingdom. Was the the transition between uh, uh, Fantasyland and Liberty Square? Mm-hmm. You know, and and you're going over that, and and it's it's clearly you know uh, old Europe and all of this. And then as you go through and you pass through that that portal, that gateway, and you're in Liberty Square, you take a look back, and it's like, well, yes, you're in the New World. You've you've gone. You've taken the the ship across. Uh, the sea uh, for that, and and the and the hub too that uh, a lot of people don't realize is that when Disneyland opened in '55, you know, uh, uh, 
you know, Walt was a grandfather. And back in those days, uh, at 55, it was getting up there. You know, people like Humphrey Bogart and Errol Flynn and all that were passing away at the age of 50, you know, and you take a look at the photos of them and go, boy, they've, they've let a, you know, 55 <laughs> now is, is middle age, you know. Uh, actually, it's close to puberty now to be 55. <laughs> but, but, but Walt was a grandfather, so he literally wanted a location where, where he and his wife Lily could, you know, just sit down on the bench and, you know, send the grandkids off, and they would know exactly where to come back. There would be, you know, that exact location. There would be no confusion. You could never get lost. That, that's what it was. And so uh, it really gives that sense of um, uh, place. You, you know, one of the things that irritate me, you know, and as I get older, more and more things, irritate me you know this front door stick what are you 55 um, how old are you 55 <laughs> <laughs> um, is, I, I just came I, I just did a presentation on the uh, Disney magic and uh, there was a tour guide and, and she was giving this and she was talking about the hub and spoke system and and I when I'm on a tour or, or whatever I, I never pipe up and go you are wrong you know, I, the, the worst I will ever do is say, you know, I never heard that. This is the way I heard it. But I, di I didn't even bring this up. And she goes, yes, you know, uh, uh, Disneyland was designed with the hub and spoke system, and the castle was right in the middle of the hub. And I go, <laughs> no, it's not in the middle of the hub. It's not in the middle of the hub. It's one of the spokes off of the hub. And and since uh, since uh, that has happened, I've heard that twice from from two other uh, different sources. You know, yes, you know it's a hub and spoke system, and and the castle is right in the center of the hub. And it's no, 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 the the castle is one of the spokes. And so uh, those of you who listen to this podcast, you know, go and carry my banner high. And when when people bring this up, po point out that you know the hub is something is something separate, you know, it's something different. And, and speaking of, of different, I, I, I know that people just rail uh, uh, against anything, uh, you know, uh, that is, is different. So I know that there are some people, you know, concerned about changes uh, uh, in the hub, but uh, Lou, you've been around long enough, and I know you've done uh, an awful lot of studying, um, the hub at Magic Kingdom is, has actually changed over the years, hasn't it? It has. I just want to quickly go back to your point about the, the, the misstatement about the castle being at, at the center, mm -hmm. because it's sort of from a top-down view, it almost does look like that. And that was sort of the, you know, sort of evidence is the point I was trying to make before. These portals, all these gateways into the different lands are very deliberately mm -hmm. placed not at the the entrance to each of those walkways of each of those spokes closest mm -hmm. to the hub, they're placed farthest away for a reason, right? Because each of those lands are very different in terms of architecture and atmosphere and story, right? It's about keeping continuity of story. So if you saw mm -hmm. the entrance to Liberty Square uh, right next to the entrance to Adventureland, it would ruin that, right? It would ruin that atmosphere. And that's why they're sort of put all the way distance at the end. The yeah, well, it, well, it, but the like castle's that. the only one that sort of acts as the gateway at the closest point to the hub, right? That's That really is the gateway to Fantasyland. Well, well I, I'm, I'm looking at my bookshelves right now, and each of my books is a, is a separate book. So 
I, I, I may have my science fiction book uh, next to, uh, you know, uh, my book on uh, uh, the biography of Abraham Lincoln or whatever, but it's clear that they're separate books. You know, they're not blended together. I'm not reading the biography of Abraham Lincoln and then suddenly there's space aliens that come down during the Civil War. You know, they're, they're separate stories, and and that and that's the the fact with uh, uh, those different lands. Even though they're close to each other and they're similar to each other, um, you know, they're separate and they need to be treated as, as, as separate. And so you can immediately identify them as separate. And and you know, the other th- thing as well too is that when you don't use the hub and spoke system, you run into challenges. You know, I, I take a look at Epcot, and sometimes Epcot is, and I know Epcot. I used to work at Epcot. That that can be a long walk sometimes, and it can also be a confusing walk, and it can also be a, a, a frustrating walk. You mean I'm here at the American Adventure, and I'm going to have to walk all <laughs> the way around there? Uh, you know? I, I've got no other option, right? You know. Well, there is no uh, there is no sort of point in Epcot where you can stand at like a decision point. Like the hub is mm-hmm. a decision point. You can look and see what your possible choices are. You cannot do that in Epcot. You can say I either go to Spaceship Earth, I go to Future World West or East, or I move forward towards World Showcase. But you don't really get a a, a, a chance to look at what all of your choices and, and options really are. Well, and, and in fact, even thinking about Future World. Uh, West and, and East, if you're standing there, you know, uh, by the fountain, by Spaceship Earth, you can't clearly see those choices. Right. You know, if you've never been there before, you, can, you can't see those choices of, is that where I want? And in fact, you can't even see World Showcase clearly enough to think, well, that's where, you know, except in, in the most general of sense. I, 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 so again, for me, Hub and Spoke works, works uh uh, terrific. I think it it, it controls uh, uh, everything. I think it also gives a, a sense of um, uh, safety and comfort, you know, and familiarity, uh, right? It's certainly familiar. Like you go to any Disney theme park, any Disneyland, you know, Disneyland Paris or Tokyo or mm-hmm. you sort of have this comfort level knowing that okay, I just need to get to the central hub, and from there I can find wh- wherever it is I need to go. Yep, you're absolutely correct. Absolutely correct. You know, I, I I don't think anybody has uh, uh, ever improved on that. Oh, here, here's a fun fact. You know, we talk about hubs. When was the first airline hub? You know, those of us who fly, and I know you fly an awful lot, you often have to fly into a hub and then out of the hub, you know, somewhere else. The, the, you know, a lot of direct flights just don't exist or they're, they're too expensive. The first airline hub was Delta hmm. at the end of 1955 after Delta executives had experienced Disneyland. Hmm. So the first airline hub, and, and again, it was just, uh, it, it wasn't massive. It was just sort of an experiment. It wasn't until uh, the 70s that airplane hubs uh, you know, really took off, and other uh, airlines besides Delta started using hubs a- as the way to get in and out of places because they found that that was the most efficient way. It, it made the most sense. Even though it might have taken you a little longer in some ways, 
it was much more efficient because, again, at a, as, at a centralized airline hub, you can sort through everything. You know, you, you don't have to sort through it at five or six different airports. That's the centralized hub where everything's coming and everything is going out of. So, so you can, can work with that. You, you know, I, I think we, we miss the importance that uh, um, Disney has had on just American culture. You know, the American Mall is an outgrowth of uh, Main Street USA. Yeah. You know, in turn. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was going to say, you're right. I think a lot of people don't attribute this this concept that has re- that really does need to go back to Walt. You know, he was sort of this this idealist, utopian, urban planner and builder. He tested this model extensively, showed that it works, and has been replicated, like you said, in airports and in so many other you know uh, commercial and residential environments as well. And we just and we just take it. Uh... Uh, you know, for granted. And, and of course, uh, you know, you mentioned the John, John Hench book, which is a, a great book to have on your uh, uh, Disney shelf. One of these days we're going to have to talk about, you know, what Disney books should you have on your Disney shelf? Vault of you know, Walt. And, one and, 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 Vault may, of and maybe Walt. ask your listeners to go, <laughs> if you only had five books oh, on your shelf, there you, go. you know, they, they better all be written by Lou Mangiello <laughs> and Jim Corkish. <laughs> but, but beyond those, if you had another five, um, you, you know, but, uh, uh, yeah, designing Disney, very, very good book. And, and I, I think it's in John's book where, where he mentions that, uh, you know, a couple of years after the opening of uh, Disneyland, they had a computer try to determine, you know, this is, this is the amount of attendance that comes into Disneyland. This is, you know, basically what is, what is in Disneyland. What is, uh, the most effective, what is the best configuration you know, for the park, and they came up with the hub and the computer came up with the hub and spoke. So either Walt is as smart as a computer, or the computer was as smart as Walt. I don't know, but Walt instinctually knew these things because he observed people. He observed, you know, um, what they wanted to do and how they wanted to do it. And uh, I, I don't see that in in many companies nowadays, where where they take into account you know, uh, the human factor. I, I would love to be able to, to call a company and get a human being to talk to <laughs> rather than a phone tree that has uh, options, none of which apply to what I want to ask, well, look, what you was, know, or, or, or handle. He was, but, so, um, he was so concerned with and consumed with the guest experience. And that's why, again, his famous quote, you know, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Mm-hmm. Or the one. All right, maybe that's a Mr. Spock quote. But again, you can yeah, sort of I, I, I was thinking, <laughs> wait a minute, that, that, that's Mr. Spock. <laughs> you you know, <laughs> and uh, I, in, in fact, I think they even use that line on uh, Big Bang Theory to, to convince <laughs> Sheldon to, to, to do something he didn't want to do. But, uh, but, but yes, you know, Walt's concern was, you know, the people and how can we make this, you know, and, and if you do that, People want to come back. People are are are, are happy. You know, there were, there were people who were happy to go to to an amusement park. And in fact, when Walt was planning uh, Disneyland, they, he had people from amusement parks and and said, "What do you want to? Why do you want to? You know, increase your janitorial, you know, uh, uh, and maintenance staff. You know, if you clean the park once a day." 
that's enough. And, and, and sometimes you don't even need to do that. But if you're going to clean the park, if you're going to clean the bathrooms multiple times during the day, that's an unnecessary expense. And Walt said, no, I don't think it is, because if people come back and they see that and they're happy about that, they're more likely to come back, you know, because of that, you know. Um, so, yeah, what a wonderful guy was Walt. Do you realize that in about two years now we're hitting the 50th anniversary of his passing? Can you imagine that? It, 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 he's, he's been gone for 50 years, and yet we all still talk about him as if he's going to be walking in the door any minute. And, and, you know, every time I hear about, you know, it, or it's his anniversary, the, the thing I always wonder, and I know he's, many of us probably have asked ourselves the same thing, you know, what if, what if there was 10, if Walt had 10 more years? Like, what if Walt would have lived just 10 more years? How different, potentially, would things be? How, how much would that have changed the, the focus or direction or what other things did he have that he never got to share or lay out for the people who were going to follow him? I, I know. You know, well, you, that, well again, uh, how different as, would as, you prob- as you probably know, that that's what he told Ron Miller on, on his deathbed is, you know, gee, if I only had 10 more years, I could accomplish more than I have ever done in my entire lifetime. And, and this is a guy who had already you know, done, uh, you know, the first uh, feature-length animated uh, film, the first Technicolor cartoon, the, you know, the first uh, uh, theme park, the first audio animatronics, you, you know, a, a host of achievements. And he felt that if he had only 10 more years, he could outshine all of that. Well, talking about, all you know, that. segueing to, to, you know, Epcot was, was the next passion project for him that go again a testament to how much of an urban planner he was look at how radical his ideas and designs were going to be for what epcot the, the living working breathing city was going to be that the people who followed him could not sort of wrap their heads around they didn't well know what but, he had but again you talk you talk about how radical that that would be it all comes back to the whole design was based on hub and smoke exactly right and radio right. You know, and 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 it it made sense, and and when you take a look at that, you can see, well, this this makes sense. It, it, of course, this is how you can do this, and and you can have a massive community, but still have, um, uh, you know, th- uh, that that personal intimate experience because the spokes coming out from that center were going out into. The suburban areas, so the suburban areas, you know, the people mover would take you out to the suburban area where you lived, and uh, so you had your own parks, you had your own little community, it was insulated, but all you had to do was to get on that spoke and go back into the center, and you're right there in, in, the, in the middle of, of all the activity, you know? So, so, so you had that access to everything that a large city would have, and and also you had that same access to the, that uh, personal privacy. Right. Right. So let's just quickly um, let's just quickly touch on a couple of the changes that the hub has gone through over the years. And the first one that comes to mind 
again, I've been going, and I was only three at the time, but I've been going since November of 71, right? My, my mm-hmm. dad, God bless him, wanted us to be there like as quick, as close to the opening as possible. The thing I remember so vividly as a kid, Jim, was mm-hmm. aesthetically looking at the hub, looking down towards the hub from Main Street, how different it looked because in those four quadrants where you have the, the small trees and the flower beds surrounded by the, the ring of some of the smaller bronze statues, there were huge, full, giant, big, blooming trees that were decorated, and they put Christmas lights on and, and were beautiful, but they really sort of blocked... No, that. no, sure, surely, surely you must be fantasizing. No, surely I, you must be fantasizing. You, but, you, 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 you've been taking too much pixie dust. <laughs> you, you can't mean to say that there were, there were trees there. You know, no, the the partner statue has always been there, hasn't it? Well, but (laughs) forgetting the partner statue, the trees did something that, uh, again, may have seen subtle at the time. But, you know, right now, and again, the way Town Square and the Emporium and the original camera center and now the confectionery are designed is you don't walk into the Magic Kingdom and the first thing you see is the castle. You've got to go around that hub and get the reveal, right? You get that big emotional mm-hmm. reveal. Everybody starts crying. It was less dramatic for so many years because the, the, the lower third was really covered by those trees. You had to get into and past the hub in order to get that full view of the castle. And that that gosh wow kind of moment, you know. But but trees and and landscaping, horticultural, give a give a comfort, you right. know. And 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 I think because they're living things as well too, they 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 touch an emotional uh, uh, spot for me. Now now I I can understand the business need for getting rid of the trees, which is people want to see the fireworks, you know. So uh, and and I know the trees block. Uh, uh, fireworks. I, I learned that when I was working over at uh, uh, Epcot, and I uh, on New Year's Eve I was always assigned to the uh, uh, disabled viewing area, uh, and and there were trees there, and people were desperately trying to come in, and I'm trying to say, look, this is not the best viewing spot around the 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 lake there, the lagoon, you know, because we've got trees overhanging here. So if you're standing up, if you're not sitting in a wheelchair. What you're looking at is you're trying to look at the fireworks through the trees there. You're, you're going to, to miss a lot of, of what's uh, happening. You know, fireworks, it, it, to, to me, it's sort of ironic. It, it's very funny. It, fireworks were introduced at Disneyland to keep people in the park mm-hmm. because basically what was happening is it would be getting to be 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock, and people were leaving the park in droves because it's like, well, it's five o'clock, six o'clock. I get, I've, I've got to get home, and there's going to be traffic on the freeway, you know. And uh, you know, we want to get home by seven or eight, you know, and, and the whole bit. So fireworks, um, and this was the uh, inspiration of uh, Tommy Walker, who who did a lot of wonderful uh, events uh, for early Disneyland. You had the fireworks to keep the people in the park. And now at Magic Kingdom, sometimes you have uh, two fireworks showings because you have the uh, first fireworks show to get people out of the park. <laughs> get, you know, and, and most people are going, yeah, my, my kid's uh, cranky's dropping off. Oh, see, there's the fireworks. We saw the fireworks. We can go. That, that, that's, that's the finale. That means it's the end, you know. 
and and so uh, a lot of my friends always go, well, yeah, let's let's just go on rides during the first fireworks because nobody's on the rides, and then we'll stay and we'll see the the second fireworks. But yeah, originally the concept of fireworks was to keep people in the park, and uh, now the concept of fireworks is let's get them out of here. <laughs> this will shove them out, you know. Well, um, so the, and it was also really the beginning of you know, nighttime entertainment, which did not really exist at all. No, no, no. Well, and, and, and again, because uh, Disneyland really was a uh, uh, u- unique entertainment venue. It really was a different kind of uh, uh, animal to the, the type of amusement parks or just amusement venues. You know, just down the block was uh, uh, Knott's Berry Farm. And, uh, you know, that was very different. From a from a Disneyland uh, uh, experience, and um, you know, uh, Disneyland just really, really cool, <laughs> <laughs> really, really, really cool with, with with a lot of those things. And and yes, it, Disneyland had all of. The, uh, I I think seeing the fireworks were more of a problem at Disneyland with the big trees, but right. yeah, the trees you know had to go and. And yeah, you know, we think the partner statue was there forever. Uh, it, it wasn't until 1995 that that was installed, and then you had those other little uh, 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 figures uh, uh, around there. And, um, and I want and I want to just uh, I want to point people to another show that we did was show number 219. I'll try and remember to link it in the show notes where we do a very long, detailed look at the partner statue itself in terms of story and history and how and why and when it got there. Because again, like the hub, it, it's not something that is as simple as, oh, in 1995 they put up a statue and that's it. There's, there's a lot more detail to it and I think will make people understand and appreciate it even more. Well, uh, but of course they can always buy a copy of my book, uh, The Vault <laughs> of Walt, Volume 2, which has an entire history of... Um, uh, the partners' uh, uh, statue, and if you want to learn more about that book, uh, uh, you can go to www.themeparkpress.com. They just redesigned the uh, uh, website today, and so there's a lot of great uh, Disney books there. And uh, after you've bought mine, there's a lot of other great Disney books that you can buy. Speaking of books. I want to congratulate Lou on a really outstanding book that just got released. You want to plug that real quick here? Yeah, well, thank you very much. You know, you're always so kind. And you know what? Can I tell you something real quick story? So I, I've already told people. They know about 100. No, go, go take a, tell a long story. It's your podcast. <laughs> you can edit this anyway. Go ahead. Well, I, and listen, thank you very much. You, you, Before we started recording, you had some very kind words about the, the 102 ways to save money for Net Walt Disney World. But whenever I talk to people, including I, I was just traveling. I, I was speaking this past weekend, and we were talking about the show with, with some people at an event I was holding, and uh, we're talking about you, Jim Corcus, and, and how people enjoy the shows. And I said, how did you meet? And I said, you know, I remember meeting you at, I guess it was like a Disneyana convention, way back when my first book came back. I mean, it really is coming on 10 years now. And I said, you know, I had known Jim a little bit here and there, and I never really met him. And, and, and I remember one of the first days that we met, and you were always so kind to me, and you were always so supportive of me and the things I was doing, and such a big cheerleader of mine. And I always remember and appreciate and respect you for that. And and I consider you such a good friend because you had it was nothing for you to gain. You just did it to sort of help somebody out who was starting out writing a book. And and I will always remember that. So uh, I am well, very very grateful for that. Well, well, no, thank you so much. But I I, I think 
life is tough enough as it is. If, if we can help, <laughs> if we can help anybody, you know, let, let's do it. And and you, you of all people know that I've gone through some some real rough uh, 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 patches, you know, in, in uh, my life. You know, the lo- the loss of my parents and things like that. Uh, so I know how rough life can be. So let's make it uh, better for everybody. But. But uh, in your particular case, I think that was the time where I had my glasses broken, so I thought you were a cute girl. I think, that, I think that's why I was just so nice. You know? Oh, so you were oh, hitting well, on me. Oh, So my you know, story and, changes. And, and, it, you just you changed know, my story. It, it, didn't you have curly hair or something? Oh, I don't know. No, I didn't know you were hitting on me. All right, my, my, forget everything I just and, said. And, and, and you had your baby fat back then, oh, you know, that you've gosh. lost now. So who knows? No, no, thank you very much. But, yeah, Lou, my basic philosophy is, you know, if you can help someone, help someone. And, and, and sometimes all it just takes is a kind word, you know, a word of support, you know, or, or, or a smile, you know, because we, we, we go through – all this uh, life, and, and especially now with people constantly just looking down and texting, and you're not getting any eye contact, you're not getting any uh, interaction, and, and people are just, uh, a lot of people nowadays are very self-concerned, you know, uh, and they don't realize, you know, uh, that other people have a life, and other people have interesting stories and all that to sell, but yeah, no, I in fact, I remember buying your book full price, so... I hope that never happens again. But you know, I... <laughs> <laughs> but I want the people who are listening to buy your full books full price. They are, and listen, they are a front and center on my shelf because, uh, again, I, I enjoy them not because I know you, but because I think you are just a master storyteller. I'm going to link to all of them in this week's show notes. And of course, I want to have you back again. Uh, I, I always appreciate you and, and taking so much time and the stories that you share and the way that only Jim Corcus can share them. My my. Gosh, our, our hands must be pretty red patting each other on the back. <laughs> A lot of love in this room today. So, but but anyway, yes, the the story, the entire history of the partner statue is is in uh, uh, Vault of Walt Volume Two. Again, Amazon.com, you can get it. But but for the for Walt Disney World, the partner statue uh, wasn't introduced until 1995. You know, which is really pretty late in the game when, when, you, when you're thinking about this. You know, the park's already been open for 20-some uh, years at that particular... And that's not the only change that happened. You know, we were talking before uh, the podcast, the entrance of Tomorrowland had these massive fountains on either side of the, the, the passageway to, to get into uh, uh, tomorrow. I wish they had those now. Uh, the entrance to Liberty Square had the... Uh, the flagpoles and all those flags, and those got moved when the Liberty Bell was was installed. So there have been changes happening around uh, the hub uh, constantly, and uh, the swan boats, for crying out loud, yeah. the swan boats, uh, you know, th- that whole dock area, what's that been doing for the last decade or two down there, you know? know. And I did, um, and rather than, you know, repeat something I've done in the past, show number 122, from mm-hmm. way back when, uh, we did a very long, detailed look in sort of a way back machine on the swan boats. But you're right, and and again, being the, the nostalgic that I am, I do miss the swan boats. I think that there was something 
just beautiful and just simple and serene. It was to me, it was the people mover on water. It gave you such unique mm-hmm. views of places like Adventureland and Liberty Square and the canopies and the female pilots, and there was so much to it that that I used to love. And obviously, with the moat being filled in, uh, that that pretty much sounds the death knell for anything like the Swan Boats ever coming back again. Well, you know, it, it's because it's serene. It, it's it's elegant. You know, and and I think there's there's a place for that at, at the park. You know, I I, I think we're too uh, uh, in love with new technology now, and and the fact that everything has to be a, a thrill ride. I, I I will tell you that one of the concerns I have about the uh, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, and and I'm sure it's going to be a huge hit, and and I'm I'm sure there's going to be wonderful attention to detail, but seeing it being built. I worry about uh, there's this one dip that just looks tremendously steep. It's not like you know a gadget go coaster or something like this. This is this is a a, a pretty significant drop, and and then the uh, the, you got, you the getting, parts getting, themselves are going to go back and forth and back and forth. Are you and getting back chicken in your old age? <laughs> now that you're fifty five. <laughs> <laughs> you and Tim Foster can. Uh, you and Tim Foster no, but, can take but, a chicken. Uh, but, but you know, I, well, you know, my heart breaks that there was going to be an attraction at at, at Fantasyland, and and it was it, it was a Mark Davis attraction, and it was turned down because it was too serene and elegant. It wasn't a it wasn't a uh, rock'em sock'em. Uh, Thrill ride, and I bet the Disney Company is regretting not building it. It was the Snow Queen Palace, mm-hmm. yeah, where you would have boarded boats just like Small World, and you would have gone into this uh, frozen Arctic uh, wonderland where you had audio animatronic uh, uh, polar bears and penguins and all this singing and dancing, and then you went into a, a snow cave, and there were snow giants with icicles as clubs and uh, frost fairies from. Uh, uh, Fantasia, and then you went into the Snow Queen's uh, throne room, and uh, she was just getting ready to board her sled to go journey throughout her her land, and so she creates this snow blizzard. So you're if in this only boat, something they could have tied it into snowing. now. They could tie it into something. And, and, that was... and then you go out into the hot and humid, you know, Florida uh, uh, sun. And uh, Mark Davis came up with that because he said, yeah, it's so darn hot. We, let's have a ride where it's really cool, <laughs> you know. Uh, but, but again, they took a look at it and they go, but this is so quiet, you know, so quiet. <laughs> you know, if they had that ride today, they could retheme it to Frozen, yeah. which, uh, 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 again, I like the film Frozen, but I'm blown away by the fact that it is the highest grossing animated feature film of all time. I am as well, and, and I've said this before. Uh, I think nobody saw this coming. I, I, I just no, I don't think it. And I think what it is, and I think what it really comes down to, Jim, is is one. I mean, other than great story, and, and it's a beautiful movie visually to look at. I think it's the music. I think it is because people, you know, look. If I asked you to sing the theme from Brave, I'm sure you couldn't do it. But I guarantee that you will start belting out "Let It Go" if, if, and please don't actually start belting out "Let It Go." But I think that's what does it. I think that's really that is the hallmark of an incredible Disney film: Beauty and the Beast, Little Mermaid. What do they have? It, it's the music 
that really uh, creates such a, a wonderful emotional connection to people. And I think that's what has sort of blown Frozen so wide open. So, I, well, I, I think there's also an emotional button that was hit. It's like Lion King. I think Lion King, one of the reasons for its success was it hit that emotional button of, you know, being connected to your father and that your, your parents are still with you even when they're gone. You know, I, I think that registered like an emotional earthquake through audiences. In Frozen, I think the fact of, of being a woman and trying to hide who you really are, you know, uh, because what would people think? And then the relationship between sisters, you know, because there's a special bond. There's a special bond between brothers, but there's also a very special bond between sisters. And I think that's an emotional button that is not being addressed in other films and all that and just really hit. You know, uh, I, as I said, I was on the Disney Magic. Uh, we were watching um, uh, uh, Frozen on, on the big screen again, and I was with some uh, uh, 20-something uh, uh, women from a, from a college, and they were just in tears by, mm-hmm. by, by the end of the film. And they had to sit there through all of the credits just to get the, the little uh, tag at the end there with the, with the snow giant. And it just affected them on an emotional level. But I think you're right, too, that the music is just... I think the music sneaks up on you. You know, I, I, I let it go when I first uh, saw the film. You know, that just snuck up on me. It, I didn't realize how powerful it was until the song was over. And I went, whoosh. What is this <laughs> salty white discharge coming out of my eyes? Ride. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right, well, let's, let's act, you know, act. And, 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 and Adele Dazeem just does a wonderful <laughs> job singing that. She killed it. She was awesome. She killed it. You know, I, 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 I hope she gets more work doing something, yeah. you know? Yeah, well, I hope uh, John Travolta gets it. John Travolta's probably not going to be hosting anything anytime soon, but <laughs> but, but we digress. No, my, well, my, my heart goes out to him because obviously he had practiced because he comes up with the, the, the little thing of, you know, the wonderfully wicked, you know, to, to tie in with, you know, her, her appearance as the... Uh, Oh, the, they the wrote that witch for her. It, she it, did, in that. He so, didn't so write obviously that. he had practiced, he had right. known, and then it just at that last moment your tongue trips. And and my heart goes out to him because uh, I I do a lot of uh, public speaking, I know you do too. And and sometimes that just happens. happens. You know, yeah, sometimes happens. sometimes your mind just gets a little ahead of yourself. You're not in the moment. You're thinking just that next second of, okay, and now I'm going to have to transition to this, or now I'm going to have to move here, or now I'm going to, you know, or, oh, there looks like there's a fire in the back of the auditorium, whatever. And, and you're out of the moment just for a second, and then that's when the tongue trips. Uh, I'm sure it probably happened to us both during this podcast, and we don't even know it yet. Let the emails yes. come oh, well, that, that, That's true. <laughs> Well, I so. am uh, I am excited for change, and I'm excited for the future, and I'm excited to have you back on soon because you know we have lots of cool stuff to cover <laughs> in and around. Well, you, you know, and this this shouldn't be so long. We should we should uh, we should get together uh, uh, much more often. And and I told you right before the podcast that I just turned in the uh, uh, text for my latest book, which will be coming out uh, in. Uh, May or June, so you know you can have me on, so I can uh, 
promote uh, promote that one uh, as well. Yeah, we're going to have you on uh, before then because we got lots of other good, fun stuff to talk about. <laughs> and I love hearing you tell stories. Only the way you can. So Jim Cork is and, my and, friend. And, and Lou, thank you for being uh, a, truly a, a really good friend. I, I, I tell people that. The, the Lou that you hear on the podcast, that, that's the real Lou. He's not, he's not putting on a, uh, a mask or a persona like some entertainers do. You know, that, that, that's, that's the real Lou. He, he, he's as warm and as concerned. And uh, In fact, there was a... Um, young lady out here uh, uh, just recently who has some major health problems and and Lou made every effort in the world to you know get in touch with her it would have been the easiest thing in the world to say well no I'm I'm just you know backed up I've got too many commitments but you know but you went out of your way to do that and a lot of people don't know that you do that so quietly and behind the scenes you know nobody uh, knows how how you twist yourself around to uh, uh, just to brighten the day. But most uh, importantly, for, for Jim, people who listen to you. More importantly, I'm a much taller in person than I'm. I'm than people are led to believe. Just let it go. Just let it go. No, no, <laughs> no. As, as I tell people, you only have to be tall enough to reach my heart. That's oh, it. Oh, and on and, that and, note, and, and you can do that, buddy. So uh, thanks very much, and thanks to all the listeners. Go out and buy my books. Go out and buy uh, Lou's books and his CDs. And uh, if I don't see you in the future, I'll see you in the pasture. (laughs) (laughs) What they can't do these days. It's time for our Walt Disney World Trivia Question of the Week. I invite you to test your knowledge of Walt Disney World history, see how well you pay attention to the details and what you see or maybe even what you hear, and then enter for a chance to win a Disney prize package. Before we get to this week's question, let's go back, review last week's, and select our winner. So last week, we were talking all that story and Expedition Everest and some of the backstories in and around the attraction. And I said that if you looked very carefully, you could see tea growing on the slopes of the mountains and in the village of Surkazong and explained about how this old tea plantation was eventually shuttered, the train stopped running, and now Norbu and Bob started a new tour company along the mountain range. The question was simple, which was to name the tour company. Again, hundreds of you entered, got this one correctly. I took any sort of close derivation of Himalayan escapes, tours, and expeditions. I then took all the correct entries, randomly selected one, and you were all playing for all six of my virtual audio walking tours of the Magic Kingdom, as well as a copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World. And last week's winner is... Jackie Colligan. So, Jackie, congratulations. I'll send your emails out with your prizes right away. If you played last week and didn't win, thanks so much for entering, but don't worry, because here's your next opportunity to enter in this week's Walt Disney World Trivia Challenge. I mentioned the partner statue in our discussion of the hub this week, touching on it just very briefly because we did do a very in-depth look at the partner statue a while back with Jim Corcus on the show. I'll link again in the show notes to it. But your question this week is about sort of the history of the statue itself. Because when 
considering having Mickey hold Walt's hand, Blaine Gibson looked to footage from what Disney film in order to help determine just how they should be standing and the proportions of Mickey to Walt. Because again, there was only one film at that time that had Mickey Mouse standing next to a human being. So your question is very simple. Tell me, what film did Blaine Gibson consult in order to determine just how and what size Mickey should be standing next to Walt? You have until Sunday, April 13th at 11.59 p.m. to send your email answer to contest at wdwradio.com. Again, you're playing for all six of my audio tours of the Magic Kingdom, as well as a copy of my new book, 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World. So good luck and have fun. That's going to do it for this week's show. Thanks again for taking the time and tuning in this and every week. In addition to the podcast, which you can subscribe to over on iTunes, please come by and visit the website at wdwradio.com for our multiple daily blog posts, new videos, free email newsletter, the free WDW Radio app for your iPhone, Android, or Windows device, our discussion forums, and lots, lots more. Also, be sure and tune in every Wednesday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern for WDW Radio Live. It's a live video broadcast and interactive chat where we discuss this week's Walt Disney World news. You can ask and answer questions inside the chat room, then stay to talk about just about anything else, including Ask Me Anything in the Lightning Round. Again, that's over at WDW Radio Live every Wednesday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. I love hearing from you guys, so if you have a question you want answered on the show, you can email me at lou at wdwradio.com. You can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Lou Mangiello, or like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash wdwradio. My personal profile is facebook.com slash Lou Mangiello. You can follow me over there, post very different things, both on WW Radio and on my personal profile. You can also follow me on Instagram and Pinterest. I am at Lou Mangiello on both of those as well. And as much as I love connecting with you guys virtually online, I believe that nothing beats a handshake and a hug. And that's why we have Meet of the Month every month in Walt Disney World. They're free and open to anybody and everybody. Bring the entire family. Our next is going to be Saturday, April 12th. We're going to have an evening with Yeehaw Bob over at Disney's Port Orleans Riverside Resort. Come early, have dinner, bring the family. No tickets, no admission required. You can come by the events page over at www.radio.com or on facebook.com if you want to RSVP or ask questions over there. Our following meet of the month is going to be on Saturday, May 3rd. That is the day of the Expedition Everest Challenge. Stay tuned for more information about that. Also, we do a number of events on the road. We just finished a great event up in Valley Forge, Pennsylvania. I want to thank the more than 100 of you that came out last Saturday. We had a great time. A lot of games, a lot of fun, a lot of new friendships. Really, really appreciate it. Stay tuned for other on-the-road events coming soon, including there's still room on our cruise on the Disney Dream this summer, August 10th through the 14th. And stay tuned for information about our pre-cruise events on land in Walt Disney World, August 7th through the 9th. Also, start thinking about maybe saving up and joining us in Alaska on The Wonder in June of 2015. You can find out about all these and much more on the events page over at wdwradio.com. You can also find out some other places that I'll be speaking, including conferences and schools, and find out how maybe if you want to have me come and speak to your business, to your school, or at your conference, you can visit loumangelo.com. Big thanks, as always, to my partners and sponsors, including Mouse Fan Travel. Listen, whether you're coming to any Disney destination around the world or just going on vacation anywhere, 
Becky and her team of agents will help you get the best possible prices, answer all your all your questions, and give you an incredible level of personal service. You can visit them over at mousefantravel.com. And if you want some Disney magic delivered right to your door, subscribe and order back issues of Celebrations Magazine by visiting celebrationspress.com. And as always, my friends, and you are my friends, whether we have met yet or not, all I ask is that if you like the show, please help spread the word. Let others know about it. Tweet out that you're listening. Come by, comment, and share links over on Facebook. And please come by, rate, and review the show over in iTunes. It's very, very helpful. I want to say big thanks to some recent reviewers like Mr. JGG, Jess Chambers, Kevin Peter Harrington, M. Jacqueline, and Disneyana. I really, really appreciate you guys taking the time to rate and review the show there. Also, everybody who's come over and given such great five-star reviews over on Amazon.com for my new 102 Ways to Save Money for and at Walt Disney World. Again, thanks to all of you, people like Teresa Passmore, Jeffrey, S. Bear, and Jim Orohosky. Guys, I really, really appreciate that. You don't know how helpful it is. If you guys like the book, please head on over to Amazon.com. Even if you didn't buy it from there, you can go and review the book on Amazon.com. I really, really do appreciate it. You can find links to Amazon over at Disney102.com. You can also find out more information about the book. Check out some sample pages as well. And finally, I want to say my sincerest thanks to each and every one of you for taking the time to listen to the show and to email me. And so many of you who came out to the meet in Valley Forge last week had so many nice things, and it really makes me so happy to be able to share something that I'm so passionate about with all of you and hopefully bring a little smile, a little bit of Disney magic to you each and every week with the show. And I want you guys to have that same feeling, right? I want you to do what you love each and every day. So wake up in the morning being positive and remember that if you don't take a chance how are you ever going to know live your life with no regrets have faith and always keep moving forward thank you again so so very much have a great week everybody see ya hey Lou <laughs> I know you won't be able to air this but uh, I just had to call I'm in the middle of listening to uh, episode. <laughs> 356 uh, with your guest um, participant and of course it's April Fool's Day and uh, I am laughing over sleep uh, right after the first uh, part where the guy goes is describing the backstory to the Wilderness Lodge and starts doing the voices and I was already beginning to wonder if he might be a little drinky drinky um and Lord knows I could never be on the show with my southern accent, but I am just about to bust the gut laughing at this guy. And the weird chemistry that is uh, going on between the three of you as you start off. And uh, I just had to call. So uh, thanks so much for your inspiration and, uh, and, and your great shows that just continually one after the other. So. Uh, Great show. Thanks a lot. Hey, Lou. It's Darlene Yankee from West Seneca, New York. I can't wait to go on the Alaska cruise. And I'm about 124, 5, 6 days to Universal and to Disney World. And I cannot wait. I am so excited and stoked about the cruise on June 1st, 2015 to Alaska. 
Yay! Have a great magical day, everyone. Hey, Lou, this is Tim and Swanee again, uh, still listening to episode 356. And clearly, clearly Tim Foster is the one who's been drinking. And I think at this point in the show, had I been you, I would have already cracked open a couple of colons to get through. <laughs> I can only, can only, I'm just greatly anticipating the rest of the show, still laughing my proverbial uh, face off. <laughs> Bye.